1: You'll find anywhere. So Coach Hugh Freeze saying, you know, it's a different feeling uh, without Coach Nick Saban around. The first thing I want to, you know, kind of highlight from that clip is apparently they're they're all pretty decent friends. He said they were setting up, you know, an opportunity for them to go play golf. So I don't know who all was involved in this golf game. That they're going and they're setting up and they were talking about, you know, they're used to setting it up and Coach Saban was a part of it. I want to know who was all part of the SEC coaches' golf they're trying to get set up. Is this like a charity thing that they're doing? I don't know. I might not be in the know. Is like, is that something that happens every year that they're going? I know I've seen pictures of Coach Freeze out there playing golf, but I want to know who all was in part of that golf game, first and foremost, that they were trying to set up. Um, So thought that was interesting. The second thing that he said that I thought that was interesting confirmed some things for me, Mm. and that is Nick Saban be complaining about stuff a lot. Mm. Now, he did say that he is the voice of some of the concerns that everybody has about certain things. Right. But, you know, we often make fun of the fact that whenever Nick doesn't like something he goes into these coaches meetings and he starts complaining about it then they make some sort of change because he's the vocal one that's basically like hey I don't like this we need to make a rule change about this and lo and behold rule change comes up so he confirmed that for me in that statement that Nick Saban has been the guy that's been consistently out there complaining about stuff even if he was the voice of the people or the other coaches yeah I mean he he
0: was the only living legend still coaching in the conference. Every other college football coaching legend is either not coaching or they oh they're past, you know, Bobby Bowden, Joe Paterno. Those guys are gone. So Nick was the only one who had achieved so much success so early in his career, when I say early, I'm, I'm talking about before he hit his seventies, and then he he was riding out, man. He was able to influence the game in so many ways. I don't know if the trajectory of the SEC and ESPN's fortunes actually happened if not for Nick Saban, like that he was he was the impetus for the SEC gaining its dominance, the other schools in the SEC being lifted up in competition by by result and then the arrangement between the SEC and ESPN that was able to happen, get the SEC network, he did all that. So when he talked, people listened. I do think it's interesting how, is anybody going to carry that weight? And he tried to say maybe Kirby will do that now. I don't think Kirby, I don't think It doesn't seem like that's going to necessarily work. But, you know, good luck to Kirby on that. But I I bet they like Nick Saban. I don't know how you do that that well for so long and not be – well, I guess you can be Yeah, you're going to be influential. At the very least, you're going to be a big influence, even if you aren't liked. But I actually right. think Nick Saban was liked by pretty much all his peers, honestly.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, it's clear Coach Freeze was saying, I'm not finna be that guy, though. Right? Like, right. he's like, I'm not about to go in there being the one, uh, you know, voicing, being, being, vo- he says that, but at the same time he uses platform like even in this press conference he was like you know they're in indianapolis right now and shout out to all the uh the auburn players that are in indianapolis oh, yeah, right sure. now going for through sure. the combine uh um, did want to mention that and and you know we'll, we'll get to more into that once the combine is done but shout out to all those guys out there chasing their nfl dreams but they're probably in indianapolis right now deciding on you know how many what did he say how many um signing days we're going to have what do we have like five now like he he takes his jabs every now and then at right. things. Uh, so he says he's not going to be the vocal guy, but he definitely has his way of making sure his opinion is heard. So I thought that that was interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to your point, uh, you know, Nick Saban has been so influential, but a lot of it has to do with you won. Yeah. You win a lot and you you get the graces of people, right? You're helping the, the, the SEC gets more money because Nick Saban's teams win in games.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And so – And maybe, you know, to that point, that's how he why he feels like maybe Kirby Smart's going to be the next one, because he's kind of that that guy who's been the best people. I've said it myself that I thought that Kirby Smart had taken over as far as current program best coach in college football. I think Kirby Smart has stepped into that um, space Uh, in the last couple of years. But, you know, he's the natural next successor there. But then he gets into the point that I want to get into, and this is the question that I have, and I will ask you the same question that Coach Hugh Free says that he asks, and he's now using at his messaging, and why not Auburn? It's a good question to ask. Why not Auburn? Right? In the absence of Nick Saban in the SEC, someone has to fill the power vacuum. This happens... Everywhere and throughout decades of time, whenever there is someone who is in power that has been removed for for whatever means, whether they decide that they don't want to be there anymore, you know, I ain't gonna get into all the reasons why people are no longer in power in different places around the world. Whenever that person's no longer there, there is a power vacuum and somebody else has to step up. And he asked the question, "Why not Auburn? Be well, why not Auburn?" There's no reason
0: why Auburn cannot. Find sustained success, and sustained success actually probably looks like you can pencil them in for a quarterfinal in the playoff. That's sustained success, and you don't have to win the conference to do that. It's really hard to win the conference. Well, Again, what Nick Saban was able to do year after year after year in the early going of his tenure in Alabama, I don't think that's going to happen again because there wasn't enough competition. There weren't enough other programs on the block, funded as well, recruiting as well. Now it's spread out all over. So what success has to look like right now, I think the closest you'll get to it probably will be Kirby because he's done it in a during a time where Nick Saban was over there still doing his thing. What we're about to step into now with Texas being the spenders that they are now on the block, Georgia's still there, Alabama's still there without Saban, but they still have enough tradition and infrastructure over there to recruit competitively to do it now. You got to just be in the mix. Kind of like what we were going to be in the top four in basketball in the sec this season, because we got these players, we got this much experience. We're going to be up there. And it's looking like we're going to be fourth in the conference based on how things shook out after that Tennessee loss. I think that is a reasonable way to count success in football is can I count you among the top four or five of these teams And spin a wheel as to what order you'll end up in. But I guarantee if they get in the playoff, they're going to make some noise. I think that's successful. I think that's somewhere we can be. Hugh Freeze is recruiting to that effect. He is recruiting well enough so far to get us there. Some of these guys got to pan out. You got to find the right quarterback. We all know how important quarterback is. But there's no reason why we cannot get there if we think, hey, listen, you did something at Ole Miss. You did something at Liberty. You've been able to find quarterbacks and find offenses and find a decent defense at least a couple times because Liberty, they had a couple nasty defenses while you were there. So you know what
1: you're looking for. You know what you want to do. Get it rolling right here. Why not, Auburn? I don't know why not. It can be. Yeah. I mean, there there are—the reason why I thought that was an interesting thing is, you know, as fans, when you hear that, you think, why not Auburn right now? And I wonder— if and, and this is a question, I don't know if I've even asked this on this show or not, or if I've I've, I've hinted at it. I do wonder if the absence of Nick Saban as the, the primary rival of Auburn, as far as the, you know our rivalry is concerned, um, makes people speed up the clock on what they expect from Coach Hugh Freeze and say to themselves, "All right, you ain't got no excuses now, bro," because Nick Saban's gone. We need to be the team now as if the SEC got easier. I mean, it did get easier, quote unquote, because Nick Saban's not there, but Bama still has a machine that's there that's yeah. going to be cranking five stars in the direction of there. It's up to the coaching staff to close those guys, but right. you're still going to have the 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 name of that university. is still going to pull some people in that direction just because it is what it is. Yeah. Um, now, whether or not De DeBoer is the, the coach to be able to get it over that net, because Georgia was in a, was in in purgatory for a while, where they were a good enough brand that they could get athletes there, but they weren't able to close the deal for a long time until Kirby right. Smart got there, right? And so right. Bama could be in that same kind of scenario. It's a little bit less of that scenario because of the expansion of the playoff. But still, you could be on the doorstep and never get in. Ole Miss kind of is currently in that place. Now, they don't have the brand, but Mm -hmm. they're in the place now where they're kind of perennially just outside the door, Mm -hmm. but they haven't had an opportunity to step inside and and get anything from that. LSU teeters on it, where they jump in, they jump back out, Talent to get you there, and then every now and then they get over the hump. The question is whether or not Auburn can be one of those programs. Right now, Auburn's not even in the conversation, right? right, right. And so the question is, does this speed up the clock for people who are looking at Coach Hugh Freeze and and thinking when he first got the job, I said to myself three years, right? Three years in year three, you need to see some significant changes in the trajectory of the program. And that's really when the wins need to start happening. And that win, win total needs to look like probably around eight, nine, 10 Mm. in year three, yeah nine ten i I'm with you on that does now, without coach saving there, people think to themselves all right well this this year we need to be eight nine ten wins because auburn should be i, I don't I, I don't know if that makes people start to reset and get unfair expectations about what this season should look like because the assumption is Bama's gonna be worse, so Auburn should. Automatically be better. I don't know how that works in people's minds. Well, unfortunately, you're right. People are gonna
0: start tracking expectations for what Hugh Freeze does to whether or not Nick Saban is there and how much Alabama fell off or doesn't fall off. You know, we'll see, you know, to, to be determined. But right. in reality, it was always like you said, it was always three years just to write our ship, not worried about what's going on outside of our walls. Because let's be right. for real here, we've we've you and I have said this constantly. When Auburn is good, we beat Alabama. The challenge for these coaches, going all the way back to, to Gene Chiswick, is can you make us good? Like a, a good if we get to double digit wins, we're gonna beat Alabama. Why have we not been a double digit win team more often than we have? Right. That's it. That the, the challenge is make us a really good team. It won't really matter how good Alabama is. The failure in our program has been the coaches that we have had have been unable to sustain success over like two back-to-back seasons of double-digit wins. We haven't even been able to do that. It's been what? I, to, Tuberville was the last time we had back-to-back double-digit win seasons. Mm. It's been almost 20 years. If Hugh Freeze is the coach that can get us there, it won't matter. But I do think that's not a year-two thing. We right. were defunct enough in enough places where it was going to have to be like a, a, a clean, erasing, wipe it away and build it back up again. And I know people don't like to hear that. And everybody's really exhausted because we've had Gus go downhill and then, then you had Brian Harson and it never got going. And then Hugh Freeze comes in with a losing season. It's like, oh, well, you know, this is our fifth year of being not, hey, but this is Hugh's second year. Like, just give right. him a minute. Year three, I think that's a good time to start the clock on him. Now, you've got your players. If you've got the quarterback you think you've gotten, either Walker White, maybe a early ahead of schedule with Hank Brown, okay. You've got options now, and it's not just shortcut right now i got to get somebody in here options like Peyton Thorne may have been. Guys that you chose, that you scouted, that you recruited, wide receivers that you've been selling program telling them it can be their time. They get in here, they look like studs, they look like studs at the camps. You're building it. And there are going to be fewer and fewer excuses each year. Year three is the first time where I think you can say, This is you. This is you, Hugh. Can you get us to where we need to be as a program so that it will be much less about who else is on the block and about us being as good as we can possibly be because we'll dominate if we can get to the level of football that we need to be at?
1: You know, part of the reason why I think, you know, the fan frustration is there is. Or, or why I actually still believe that a lot of people are going to speed this timetable up in the absence of Nick Saban this season is how close Auburn played both Bama and Georgia last season, right? They say to themselves, ah, man, we almost got them last year. We're going to be better in year two of Coach Freeze forgetting to hit the reset button on most of the coaching staff and a lot of the players. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, year two isn't really from a, you know, B-wheel buzzword continuity standpoint this right. Somebody got mad at me last time I said this is really year one point whatever right Right. like it's it's you're you're halfway resetting a lot of this stuff and Coach Freeze wasn't the Coach Freeze that he's been traditionally right Uh, so though it is year two of his tenure you you hit reset on so much stuff that it's almost like another start you starting over again Um, and so the the expectations I think are going to be a little weird Uh, let's get over to the comment section though and see what some of you guys are talking about before we go to our break. Um, James Barnett gets us kicked off and he says after hearing what Coach Hugh Freeze said along with the players I think this year Auburn will be scary on both sides of the ball just saying so that's somebody right there who's saying he thinks hey this year Auburn can be scary How I don't know how many wins scary equates to but yeah. you can definitely <laughs> <laughs> you can scare you know, I mean LSU was scary but they lost what three four games last year listen so. Missouri the year before last scared a lot of people yeah it yeah. didn't Equate to a lot in the win column for them. Now, then that next year, though, yeah. after they had the the year where they scared a bunch of people, that they were making noise, and now this year they're kind of expected to make that noise. Right. That's kind of how it goes. Yeah. So three, we'll four see. losses. you will say wins, but I mean losses. Yeah. Three, four losses last year for LSU. Yeah. Uh, JJ Brand says Cam turning heads already. Speaking of Cam Coleman, mm-hmm. uh, out there during spring practice, I I, I don't know. That somebody 6'4, 180 pounds isn't going to make people look in his direction, especially when you're athletically gifted. I think it's way too early to like, and this is something else Coach Free said. He's like, listen, you know, he's a freshman. I think people are going to want to see him play a bunch, and he's going to play, but like, we're going to bring him along slowly, essentially. I'm not quoting him, but he's like, we're going to bring him along slowly and see what he can do out there. Um, and I think he wants people to temper their expectations of these young freshmen and not expect them to come out there and light the world on fire in their freshman season. Yeah, protect them. I mean, you should protect them. You
0: don't want them to We've seen what fan bases can do when they feel like they sh- they have a right to expect something of guys and they don't get it. They start piling on guys and disrespecting them. You don't want that from your fan base. So yeah, that's a good a good job by Hugh Freeze. Protect those guys. Let them know it's going to be you know a, a journey, but we'll get there. We'll get there.
1: Yeah, we we see what happened during this season with Aiden Holloway. People were calling him a bust already. The Season ain't even finished yet. Yeah, right. Because he's a five star coming in with a lot of expectations and people are like, oh, he's about to come up here and he's finna bust everybody. And it's like, bro, come on, like. It's okay for him to be a five-star and not dominate the league in year one. Even though there are five stars that are dominant, yeah, that doesn't mean that every five-star has to be dominant. And that right. doesn't mean that every five-star that's not dominant is a bust. Right. Right. Auburn Dad jumps in and says, War Damn Eagle, I really like his upfrontness about everything.
0: Yeah. You know, he said uh, that his mantra this year was truth. truth. No, yeah, truth. Oh, that was just truth. Okay. Yeah. And— Hugh Freeze is probably honest to a fault when he's in front of media. <laughs> when he's in front of media, because we could we could guess all day about what Gus meant to do or thought he was doing, or even harsh it to a certain extent. All we had to go on was what was the end result. Man, this ain't it. This ain't getting it done. But what what Hugh Freeze does that I really like is he says, "Well, this is what I was trying to do. This is what I am trying to do." And then when it doesn't go that way, he's like, "Well, you know, it didn't work out that way." Yeah, we can evaluate. He's honest like that about with his evaluation of players. He's honest like that with his strategy on how, well, we want to protect the, the off the defense. So we didn't want to go so fast on offense. So now when I'm watching this game, I'm like, why are we not? Coach told us. That's why. And that's why we don't have an advantage that we could have on offense. And so you see how it works together. And I, I feel like it makes for a better watch. You're better informed when you're watching your team. But on the flip side of that. But if you tell us too much stuff. we gonna hold. You, we know exactly how to hold you accountable for that stuff you said because all some of that logic don't work out all the time, and it don't work right. out like you thought. And then it's fair to say, hey, coach, you was wrong about this. But I do like I. That's I think that takes some some courage. I, maybe that's just how he operates best. Some people are like, look, I'm just gonna come out here and tell the truth. I don't care if you fry me for it. I like that about Hugh Freeze. I think it makes for uh,
1: at least a good conversation between fans. Yeah. When he was talking about that, he was like, hey, I'm going to be honest with y'all. And, you know, I expect, honesty." it's like, uh uh-oh, he going to come in here in one of these press conferences and he going (laughs) to flambe somebody at some point in time. Say, hey, you you remember when you guys were talking about this and this and that? Like, I know, because he he already said it. He's like, I know you guys are going to, I think it was in regard to the Cam Coleman thing. He's like, you're going to want to write certain things. And he's just like, listen, slow down. Yeah. Like it's, we, we're not trying to, 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 to put these guys out here for you all to put them up on a pedestal so people can knock them down. JJ Brenton says, I wasn't even mad about that loss last night. Well, I will come back to that. I'll come back to that. It was basketball related. Uh, Haley says, well, now he has time to not mix and match the staff and players. I hope we see some proof of concept this year. One or two more wins is necessary. When is necessary wins is necessary. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, I think. It is well won six games last year. Um I think that most people expect to see at least seven wins this year to feel good about it. Um I don't I don't know where I am right now. Again, for me it's too early for me to start putting relative ceilings and floors on things. There's so much that has to be shaken out, and really it comes down to for me how well this defensive line is going to develop. And he said in this press conference, we probably are going to have to go to the portal again to fill yeah. out some spots on the interior of the defensive line. So again, being very honest about where he thinks that the team is, just from a size perspective. I think there's size profiles of guys that he wants to be able to do certain things. He um, just doesn't have those guys, particularly without Justin Rogers, who I think they had hoped would return to give them more depth along the interior defensive line. You knew um, that you weren't going to keep Marcus Harris, right? But you were hoping to have Justin Rogers come back. He declares for the draft. So your interior defensive line is down at least one person, but two people for sure without Marcus Harris. Um, You know, the the acquisition of Trill Carter helps you there, but you'd like to have more guys that you can rotate through in there. And he said, you know, he's like, Jason Jones is going to have to be He's going to have to take that next step for us in there on the interior defensive line and become one of the guys. Yeah. Um, and, and that's 100% truth there. So, um, But the defensive line development, and then, of course, the quarterback. Who's yeah. going to be the person that is you know the quarterback? He put more, I think... He, didn't, he wasn't glowing, and he also said, you know, I, I know You know, before you guys kill me about saying I, I'm down on my wide receiver, he's like, I just don't know what we have yet mm. in the wide receiver room as far as the ability to do those things. But I, I, I thought it was interesting, the juxtaposition of I'm confident that we have quarterbacks that can do the things we're asking to do. Right. I'm not sure about our wide receivers. Yeah, And I don't know if that's more – because I mean, really, if you think about it, Coy Moore, Camden Brown, Jay Fair – Caleb um, Burton, right? Those are the four guys mm-hmm. you have returning out of a room that will have 10 scholarship guys and four other maybe walk-ons, right? So like mm-hmm. f- out of the 14 guys in that room, only four of them are coming back and only one of them has actually really performed for the vast majority of the season. Right. I, I think it's something that people forget too, right? Like Jay Fair last year, that was his first year as a starter in the right. SEC. Right. So, like, any returns that you got from Jay Fair, that was just the beginning of what he could potentially do. Mm-hmm. Caleb Burton didn't really get significant snaps until the back half of the season last year. Mm-hmm. So, we're just really seeing the tip of the iceberg for him. Camden Brown was hurt the vast majority of the offseason. This was the first year he had gotten any significant snaps, and he didn't really even play a lot of snaps until the second half of the season last year as well. So it's really still kind of an unproven room. And then you got a bunch of true freshmen and transfers to pile on top of that. Coy Moore is probably the only other person in that room that's had snaps, but still, even in his time in LSU, Auburn, never been like a full-time starter ever in his career. So there's a lot of guys who haven't had to shoulder that burden of being the guy. And the question is, is who's going to step up to be that person? He said, I need at least three. So we'll see what happens. Well, who was the the transfer from Georgia State? I don't know,
0: is it Williams? Robert Lewis? Lewis Lewis. I'm sorry. Listen, I that that's the probably the person I would be watching most closely in the, in the spring is because okay, let us see what he can do. Does he fit your profile? Does does he make that that option route read correctly with the quarterback? Because if he can do that, then you've got a, a surefire hand. To On the outside, I know he's probably inside size, but he played outside. And then mm-hmm. Fairweather is more wide receiver than tight end. And that's that's at least a little continuity. So the wide receiver room specifically, I'm with you. You got to know what you got there. If Lewis is a baller, I say a baller right when old the <laughs> tight baller. If, if Lewis is a baller, Fairweather is a little more consistent with those hands. It might be almost academic because you got to get Cam Coleman on the field. I think he's going to be out there whether he is the best wide receiver at the spot as far as knowledge game one like you just got to get him those rips and that experience so he can peak by the end of the season there might be one slot open maybe maybe you want to go switch it up have a different wide receiver out there i think jay fair is going to be in the slot i don't do do what do you do with caleb burton he's he's probably going to play on the outside okay I know he he just doesn't have the the speed for the outside, but... Yeah, he does. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I mean, Caleb Burton ideally would be a slot. um, And so, you know, that... I I think it's going to be interesting to see who gets reps and where. Because as you pointed out, Robert Lewis, from a size perspective, is a slot guy. But you'd really have a cemented guy at slot. You have to rotate him out at some point in time. And Mm -hmm. you want to do some different things. And you might even go four wide at some Mm -hmm. point in time. So you'll have two slots on the field. Um, But it will be interesting to see how the rot, rot... uh, rep, excuse me, distribution is going to go with those guys, yeah. um, especially considering you have so many tweeners, essentially guys who kind of do this or kind of do this. Jay Fair is actually another guy who, for the vast majority of his his high school career, played on the outside, didn't really play right. inside receiver until he got to Auburn. Right. Uh, so he is, he was essentially learning something different than he had ever done before um, at wide receiver. So. A lot of things that still need to get ironed out for that room, for sure. Uh, Super chat here from Oda Smith, who says, Fairweather is more of a monster wide receiver than a tight end, in my opinion. Yeah, Um, feels that way. You know, I mean, he's definitely a pass-catching tight end. Uh, You know, from a size perspective, he could be a big wide receiver, I guess. Um, But, you know, to your point, I guess, Oda... he's not the best blocker in the world. That's something he definitely needs to improve on. And I think in order to be a top tier tight end, like you can play the position and line up at a tight end spot on Mm -hmm. in line. Um, But in order to be a top tier tight end, you need to be able to be a good blocker. You don't have to be the best blocker in the world, but like what's gonna, the reason why, um, you know, George Kittle and um, Travis Kelsey and um, what's the guy for the Ravens? uh, Mark Andrews. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Gronk, when he was there all those years, Tony Gonzalez, and, you know, you can go down the list of tight ends that were good pass-catching tight ends. The reason why they were open so much had to do with the fact that they blocked so well, honestly. Mm -hmm. Last year, we talked about Brock Bowers, right? Why he was open so much is because— he blocked so well that you didn't know when he was lined up in this spot, is he actually going out for a route or is he faking like he's going to block? Like, like you don't know what that's going to be. And so right. it makes the defense a step slower on how they react to certain things. And it allows you to be a little bit more deceptive. To be really good as a tight end, you kind of need to be able to block. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you can be a good pass-catching tight end and not have to block. There's been plenty of examples of that. But I, to be elite at that right. position, right. you got to be a blocker. Yeah, yeah. Eugenia Akira says, I probably, I've probably, i probably pronounced this different every single time that I say it on the team. Eugenia Akira, Akira Eugenia, I probably pronounce it this like 15 <laughs> different ways. It's not the best um, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what went wrong last year? Poor communication, poor talent evaluation, inconsistent philosophy, and coach Hugh Freeze's foot in mouth disease uh, with continual dissing players' talent on the team. Mm. Yeah. If there's anything
0: that I think Hugh Freeze, and I think he said this, they asked him what he learned from last year, and he said, you know, he's learning a lot, it would be how you relate to these players. And there's something he talked about when he was talking about mm-hmm. the, the leader council, the leadership council, right? Which is, I might say I want to do things like this and they'll say, hey, why don't you dial that back a little bit because, you know, kids are different now. The way he talked about players outwardly and about the talent that we didn't have to compete, that wasn't the best way to get the best out of that room. So if you already didn't have guys who were 100% bought in, weren't given 100% effort, that was not the way to motivate them. (laughs) It was obviously not the way to motivate them. So now I wonder... If he's at least learned that lesson, it sounds like he's learned you know something, made something out of that first year that didn't work out so well. But I really, really do think that would be part of what's now in his tool set is I need to learn. Even if I don't know how to deal with the players directly, I'm going to get the players to help me understand how I need to deal with the players. Which is why he said he really loved the idea of it being a player-led accountability thing it's like listen i'm not gonna be able to hold your feet to the fire because i'm gonna say hey why are you late go run 100 laps and they're gonna be like man what is this 1960s i remember the titans and then you know <laughs> now they don't like you no more and all that stuff but if you can get to play like hey coach let let us do this We'll we'll come up with the penalties so it makes a little more sense that makes it a little closer i hope he's learned that lesson i hope he's learned yeah. that
1: lesson at least yeah, we, that is remaining to be seen, whether or not he's found the right messaging to, to get guys to buy into what needs to happen for everybody to be on one accord um, in terms of just playing together on Saturday. So we'll see. We'll definitely see.